passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. It's Rewind to Dynamite. I'm John Pollock. He's Waiting. Welcome back, everybody. We are ready to chat. Wednesday night's action. Lots of lots of news, actually, to get to. But the question on my mind, on all of your minds, how is Way doing? The answer is... Good. Great. Yeah. Like, you know, so often I'll say good, but depending on the um, tone, the intonation of the good... I think that's how, that's the real barometer of what that good means. I always listen to your tone above your words. If you're just like reading this podcast via transcript, you might just think that I was good, but you wouldn't think that I was good. Totally wow, that, different. That was an extra O in there, guaranteed. Perhaps, yeah. This is the problem with the written word, and this is why we get into so many Twitter beefs, you know? The, the, the oh, dude, is- sarcasm is the like... Don't try it on on Twitter at all. It's just uh, the worst. I think we should just switch to a social media platform with only voice messages. Like, imagine if Twitter was just like voice messages instead of like written. Yeah, that could work. I don't know how. Um, I, guess, I guess that's what like Snapchat is. Isn't kind it? of. Yeah. I mean, there there, there are those uh, those specific uh, events. Who who is really uh, owning TikTok right now during this whole craze? As more and more like TikTok isn't a new thing, but I feel like it's it's like if you were to tell me TikTok is at its all time high, uh, that's completely believable. What do you mean owning TikTok? Who's doing well on TikTok? Are you oh, following people on TikTok? No, no, no. Yeah, uh, I, I saw one from Nia Jax the other day that I thought was pretty damn good, where she like synced her voice. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Uh, you haven't seen this? No. She's like putting her makeup on. It was like it's. It was pretty good. I, I know the female roster has been very. M- many of them uh, in the WWE have been very active on TikTok. They did a great video. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Don't Rush Challenge, John. I saw this. I, I'm very familiar with the Don't Rush Challenge. Uh, when are we doing ours? The post Don't Rush Challenge. Yeah. Um, Get me, you, me, WH, <laughs> Braden. Well, <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. Bar- Benno then- Martin. You know, we'll all join in. We'll get we'll get our, our final reveal be uh, Getty Lee at the end of it. What? Oh, get it. I got it. That's a Canadian joke. Well, that's a prog rock joke. Yeah, you can't go with George. George St. Pierre dropped that, that name so long ago. That was, he, he slowly phased out Rush. 
Yeah, I mean, does he have any nickname right now? Retired. That's what he's got. He didn't rush. Stop. Well, uh, I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Today was a really intense day of uh, news, and it was just one of those days that started early and just was nonstop for the entire day. So, um, yes, that was my day. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Um, well, before we even get into the news, uh, I, I, we've not done a t-shirt giveaway in a while. And so I did want to take this opportunity, number one, to promote a couple of new shirts that we've got right now at store.postwrestling.com. Of course, we have, I would say, uh, a bestseller, John. I think we can classify this one as a bestseller. The Rocky Maivia Picture Show has a t-shirt up there in honor of Nate Milton's monthly show chronicling the film career of uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, a tremendous shirt that we've we've sold millions of, millions and millions of. And uh, another recent addition this week, our latest release, the Post Pro Rest t-shirt at store.postrest.com. A beautiful design, both of them by our friend Robert Pearson. And uh, you can check them out and take a look at both of them at store.postrest.com. So let's give Let's give the post pro rest shirt away right now, John. Well, how can people win a t-shirt on this show? You can win a t-shirt by signing up for any tier of our Patreon, patreon.com slash post wrestling, where you can get a number of our bonus shows. You can get rewind to SmackDown. You can get ask away, which was just released last week by weekly editions of rewind away. You can get total recall as well as our entire archive of, I have to believe like, we're past the hundred mark by now. We're doing like millions and millions of seconds exactly. of audio. Be, yes, exactly. And all for $6 a month. So we are near the beginning of the month. So this is really a perfect time to join. So patreon.com slash post. This is the time of the month where you can squeeze us for all we're worth. You sign up now, you get everything, all the archives, and you can uh, tune in live for our post show after money in the bank on, on Sunday exactly. for the double, double ice cap and espresso tears. I should, stipulate absolutely right yes so uh i'm gonna bring back the weekly draw so yeah every single week will on this particular show and in case i've unless i forget uh and unless john forgets as well we will be doing are are you are you declaring that normalcy is returned are we is is the pandemic over is this your official pronunciation in the land of post wrestling uh no not at all no this this really has nothing to do with that um but we are approaching normalcy how about that yeah i think it's I think everyone has like a cautious feeling at the moment. I feel everybody is right at the brink of saying we're back to normal. And that's either going to be uh, too aggressive of a move or or, or maybe it, it is time to relax certain things we're going to find out. But that, that feels like the mood to me. And I think a lot of people are just kind of um, more willing to see places um, – I think take those chances and see what the results are. It's certainly the case with sports um, where we're seeing a number of leagues. I mean, I was just watching a bit of sports center coming off of dynamite this week. And it seems like um, a lot of, a lot of the leagues are planning or at least discussing plans to, you know, continue training and continue continuing seasons. Um, But I, I just can't help, but just be incredibly cautious that we're mm, taking too many, not taking enough precaution before jumping back in because this weekend, John, like the, the the beautiful weather certainly helps. But like I was out this weekend on a Saturday and it just felt like everybody was out. It felt like 
you know, it felt like we were almost like back to normal. And I certainly know, according to numbers, we are not back to normal. Um, but no, and it's yeah. going to be even worse this weekend. You've got like Mother's Day where people are going to be, I think, going out even more. I think th- like the the combination of the weather and everything that's going on. And I think there is now this belief that we're through it. And I, I, I don't that's know how case. it's not, but that's, that's certainly the, the feel that you get. Um, we might be through anyway. the worst of it, but I mean, it certainly doesn't mean that I, I, no. I don't know. Again, I, I'm not an expert. Maybe it'll be time for us to have a, a, another update with Alex Patel at some point, but anyway, everybody, um, t-shirt, t-shirt. Yes. Anytime, John, why don't you spin the wheel and I'll make the deal. What the hell was that? Was that like is that the I just sound? pressed the I pressed the button of the electronic wheel that I have constructed here in my office. That yeah, was I, how it uh I, I settled on on that name that you're looking at. Yeah, because I don't recall that noise. Um but I just installed it. Sounds fancy. Well, congratulations to Derek Jungling from Fargo, North Dakota. We're going all the way to Fargo. Fargo. I mean, you've got a you got a movie and a television series named after your city. Now you got a T-shirt coming, courtesy of Post Wrestling Store. Post I'm actually going to message you, and you can choose between our brand new Rocky Maivia picture show or a Post Pro Wrestling shirt. Again, you can get these at store.postwrestling.com. Go check them out. Um, we appreciate any of the support. Okay. Um, just some quick in-house notes uh, coming up over the next few days. Cafe Hangout live Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern for all patrons. Friday night, rewind to SmackDown. We're going to go through uh, a taped edition of SmackDown and Dark Side of the Ring covering Herb Abrams. Saturday night, um, if you want to tune in at the post-wrestling Discord, starting at 6 o'clock, Phil Chair Talk and Eric Marcote are going to be watching all of the fights in the Discord. So you can watch along with them. There'll be a lot of fun going on. And then... After the UFC card, myself and Phil will be doing a live stream on the Discord of the UFC 249 post show. So you can follow along live uh, with us as we chat about the fights on Saturday. And then Sunday night, it's myself and Wei Ting with the Money in the Bank post show, which will be live for, as we mentioned, Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso members. We'll be taking your phone calls and Total Recall dropping this Sunday for all cafe members. A live show on the Discord. That's really exciting. Yes, I am just along for the ride, and Phil has said, I've got this. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> I can't so, wait. I look forward to it, because I know there are uh, voice chat settings or, or things you could do within the Discord that I have very limit, limited knowledge of, so I, I, I look forward to seeing what, what Phil's able to do. Yeah, so check that out. And we also just put up a preview show for UFC 249. That is up on the site now that you can go download along with Up Next uh, chatting about tonight's uh, fairly big edition of NXT. I think both shows were coming out with pretty big lineups tonight. Uh, But we start off with uh, some news and notes. There were um, two passings over um, the past day or so. Um, The first being uh, Supreme, who... Gained most of his notoriety doing death matches, primarily with XPW, but wrestled ar- around the Southern California scene going back to uh, 1995. Um, he passed away at the age of 49, uh, real name Lester Perfors. And um, yeah, there were a lot of uh, tributes today for him um, from that Southern California wrestling scene. So he was um, 
you know, he was part of XPW kind of at, at their peak right until XPW went uh, went under and stopped running shows after March of 2003. And there was this really frightening incident that he was a part of in 2001 in July that year where he was doing a flaming table spot. And I guess there had been too much uh, lighter fluid placed onto the table. So he ended up on fire and the person with the fire extinguisher kind of panicked and he was on fire longer than he needed to be and had to be hospitalized with like some significant burns. And it was like a really, really scary scene at the time. That was in 2001. Uh, his career uh, did continue, but um, someone notable from uh, Southern California and the other one uh, much more local. Uh, and that was uh Jamie Asher, and he wrestled as Sexy Baby Jamie Jackson, and he was part of this group called the Hollywood Hunks, and they were pretty well-known here in Ontario in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, Jackson had started wrestling a couple years earlier, and this group, they were... they were very ahead of the curve, I always felt, about marketing themselves and getting onto different programs doing a lot of interviews to get their name out there. And it was pretty unique at the time that you had this. It was, it was uh Jamie Jackson, uh, a wrestler by the name of custom made man and stunning Sean. And then they had their agent Otto Bond, who actually just passed away last year and their manager Raquel. So it was like this group of five and it wouldn't always be the five of them that got booked, but they presented themselves as like this unit. And that's very rare on the independent scene, just from the, the sheer fact that it's it's very difficult to get booked as a fivesome uh, going to different shows. But they would show up. Um, typically, the shows I would see, it would be like Custom Made Man and Jamie Jackson together with, with Autobahn. But anyway, they were all like a part of this group. And they wrestled in uh, this group called the Hardcore Wrestling Federation in London, Ontario. I saw them at Apocalypse Wrestling Federation when uh, they did the, the infamous Cactus Pete's shows. And... Just um, names that you would be certainly familiar with if you were following the Ontario independent scene uh, a generation prior. And then it seemed like he just after 2003 or so, I just stopped hearing his name and it seemed like he just moved on from the industry completely. Um, but I was I was just totally shocked just hearing his name uh, this morning and that uh, when I saw the news that he had passed away and he was only 44, um, way too young. And it was um, um we don't know the exact cause of death yet, but um, just one that was more of a local one, but someone that, um, you know, if, if you were following that scene in Toronto, um, this was a group that I thought they were very, very savvy with how they marketed themselves. They would do interviews with anybody like and they they did a really good job of just, you know, having a website up that documented all of their like had their bios up any media interviews. They they post them up there and. Uh, they ended up getting a dark match at one point in 1999 with, with WCW. Um, didn't ultimately go anywhere, but there was uh, an association with, with Chris Canyon, and he got uh, Jackson a role in the Jesse Ventura movie that they put on NBC. He was also like an extra in that Biff Naked music video off the uh, Ready to Rumble soundtrack. So always guys that were kind of getting a bit of a buzz for themselves, and at one point they just got a 
a cold call from Carl DeMarco and all, always like these little like indications that the big companies were aware of them, but not being able to get that inevitable deal. Um, so that was uh, just a little bit on uh, Jamie Jackson. Uh, some other interview notes, uh, the revolt, uh, Cash Wheeler and Dax Howard were on Talk is Jericho. Did you have any chance to listen to this? I did. Um, I believe it's Harwood. Oh, am I getting okay? His real name is is it Harwood or Howard? His last okay, I might be wrong. I think Dax it's like Harwood Dax. is the, Harwood. the gimmick name. Yeah, yeah, those names are going to be very hard to uh, Dax and Cash. I can do you throw in the last names, that's going to take an adjustment period. I actually but. thought da- Dawson and Dash were tough enough, like it took me forever to get those guys, you know, like which one's Dash, which one's Dawson. Those are like very generic wrestling sounding names, and I don't know if. Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler. I mean, it'll. Uh, I know who they are now, so it'll be. It, it, I'm sure I'll get used to it soon enough. But um, this is going to be the weird transitional week. I t- I took away several things. Uh, number one, these guys are are great speakers, and uh, John, I think- everybody is a good speaker. <laughs> Fucking Tino Sabatelli gave like an amazing interview to to, to uh, uh, Dan Matha on his YouTube channel. That was just like. Two and a half hours long and compelling as fuck. Everybody's a good speaker when they talk like themselves. Um, so, some other notes. They they walked away from a ton of money from WWE. And I think that, you know, it, it's one thing to say that you want to leave. But when you're staring at that contract and, I mean, that's that's to me, it's it's like really telling of how much they wanted out of this company and had wanted to for quite some time. Um, I, I found it to be a really interesting interview. Uh, well, on, the, con- on that note, I mean, they even said um, the reported- the seven fifty figure it, it that was low of yes. what they were ultimately offered. I mean, think about that. Like they were hit, like they're hitting high six figures, uh, flirting with like what would you say, like close to a million potentially, and that's insane. By the way, that that amount. Um, it's, I, I it's think saying that you're going to offer these guys that much, and then you're going to offer them the gimmick clown that, gimmicks, yeah, the yeah. gimmick that they they attempted to, yeah, the confirmation of the clown gimmick or like whatever the the weird uh, flavor flavor ninja gimmick, um, in and of itself, I thought made this a pretty compelling interview, but um, yeah, yeah, a lot of really interesting details. Please go on. Um, no, I was just going to say on that front, had they signed those deals last year, I think they would have. Um, been out the door just like Anderson and Gallows. Very possible. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's it's highly possible. I mean, certainly right now, I don't know if that, that type of figure is going to be thrown around uh, unless you're talking about a top, top guy that they are, uh, you know, they would be scared of jumping over to another company. Um, clearly, at least for some of the talent, many of the talents, it, they don't have that fear anymore. Uh, they just talked about overall. They just didn't think WWE was ever going to be serious about their tag division. It was not about just getting the titles or having any kind of run like that. It was just an overall feeling that the tag division was a joke in this company. And it's it's kind of hard to argue that. Um, at least it, it's never going to be like they're not in any state where the tag teams are going to be main players. It's kind of it's it's a spot on the show. And that's that's where it is. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it goes in ebbs and flows, but the, the high points are not, are not going to be to their satisfaction. And I think they see, um, the landscape out there is, is rich with tag teams and 
obviously clearly working a program with the Young Bucks because that was like the most storyline stuff of this interview from them. They specifically named a number of teams um, across a number of promotions. The North and Impact Wrestling. I believe they uh, name dropped um, uh, Finjuice from New Japan Pro Wrestling. They wanted to work the Gorillas of Destiny. They mentioned, uh, did they say the Briscoes? They mentioned the Briscoes. Yeah, Yeah, the Briscoes, the North, uh, Finjuice, which, I don't know. I I kind of just took that all as misdirection, that the Bucks are the program. I I absolutely would not be surprised if these dudes showed up at Double or Nothing um, and just signed these exclusive deals. I was even... It It wouldn't have shocked me if they had showed up Tonight, like when I saw that this interview dropped today, I thought like there's there might be a reason that they dropped this today. Well, I was a little surprised that that Jericho released this interview with them or they decided to to do this interview with Jericho at this point in time, because often the Jericho interview occurs after you made your AEW debut. Um, But yeah, who knows? I mean, I certainly don't doubt that they 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 would want to explore these options outside. But how many options do they have right now in this particular point in time and how long would they have to wait for to, you know, really um play like potentially get a match in New Japan and then get a match in ROH and then get a match in Impact or they could just do TV right now and how many people are available except AEW Yeah, I think these guys are going to land on their feet fine. Um oh, yeah. I, I think I I think that these guys are going to be a, a great asset to whatever tag division they are part of and I think AEW just seems to make the most sense and I I just can't imagine that they you know, starting that tease on being the elite. I think that that's, that's obviously not going nowhere. So uh, it's a really good interview. Andrew Thompson did a great job uh, transcribing some of the answers that you can go uh, check out uh, up on the website. Tony Khan also did an interview and I found this one to be very interesting on the AEW unrestricted podcast, talking about the entire process of running these empty arena shows. And he just gave some of his insight uh, such as, you know, the the wrestlers at ringside being an idea that came from uh, what The Tonight Show is doing with Jimmy Fallon of having some of the writers and crew around to react to uh, Jimmy Fallon, which I, I think greatly enhances that because I've seen the opposite. I, I've seen what they've tried uh, with, with Bill Maher, where his opening monologue, they'll take canned laughter and it, they make a joke of it where they do cutaways to all these random scenes to just let everyone be in on the joke. But then he'll do like the mid-show um, like uh, skit where it's like doing the jokes and they don't do anything. And it's just painful. Like you're mm-hmm. delivering jokes to silence. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean that's the tactic I've seen I think most often is people doing these you – know, like Jimmy Kimmel do, or uh... – Tom Hanks on SNL doing monologues from their houses and not having any sort of audience to react to. It's it's certainly been a a period of experimentation and that exceeds beyond wrestling. He said that his favorite empty arena shows were the first one back on March 18th and last week's show that had the uh, the semifinals of the championship tournament. Uh, they only had about just over a quarter of the roster uh, to tape uh, those shows in Georgia and he said that you know it was a it was a lo- it was you know because of such a small crew they went to things like Kenny Omega and Michael Nakazawa that he admits would not have been his first option of what to, what to utilize but said it ended up being uh, an important match for them Jericho coming to do commentary happened the night before they were going to tape where he offered to do it because they were just going to go with Sean Spears and Colt Cabana uh, subbing in for one another because they'd also have to wrestle but then Jericho um, was into it and decided 
he he would do it. So they they lucked out big time there having Jericho because I think he has been a highlight of the last couple of weeks on commentary. Aubrey also spoke about like the effect having Jericho there had on just the motivation of the entire roster, you know, to to basically, you know, see your leader who wasn't even scheduled to be on these tapings and certainly, you know, has no need to, no real pressure to show up, but him being there, uh, it, it just seemed to, or at least according to her, motivate everybody. And Aubrey refereed 20 matches in 24 hours. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, the sense I certainly got listening to a podcast like this, number one, I, I really do commend, you know, uh, Tony Khan for continuing to, um, I think, be so open uh, to, to the media. I mean, this was his own media, but really to be so uh, open w- uh, to continue a discourse about the, the production. And especially at a time like this, when I think so many people have so many questions about exactly how these shows are being produced, it is now more important than ever to extend that that communication with your audience um, so I commend him for for doing a show like this and taking the time to explain some of the details behind producing a show like this. Well, the sense I certainly got from it was that um, it 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 really does feel like it is they they were under great pressure to try to do as much as they can with a very limited amount of time and limited resources, and it it almost felt like to me, you know, like it was everybody with their backs up against the wall trying to do you know, as much as they can to, to support the team. And so listening to this, I really did get a sense of their family and sort of a, um, I don't know, underdog, uh, spirit that they kind of talked about. Yeah. I I think that, I think that there's a lot of credit you can give for them, you know, putting the, the certain precautions in place. And I do feel that they have the well being in mind, uh, that said, that doesn't mean you escape criticism either. And I would say on an outlet like this, he was obviously not going to get pushed uh, in terms of any any pushback or criticism of running these shows and some of the early practices that that we observed uh, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just the decision in all of this, like, OK, your television revenue, it is your major stream. Like we are clear about that. But let, let's talk about like what the entire country is going through. Uh, right now, so I I, I give him credit for uh, coming on and giving giving us some look at kind of what is going into these tapings. It's valuable information, but th- this is also I, I think a very safe outlet for him to go on to. He's he's not going to get challenged on any of these decisions either. Sure, yeah, I did feel like he you know he pretty much spelled it out. He said like we TV is our only revenue source right now. They, he says he they, they he, he was open about that fact. I yep. mean, he didn't try to sugarcoat this like we're trying to put smiles on faces and yeah. uh, raise the country's spirits up. I mean, he's flat out pretty much saying like this. That's, this is a, a business decision. It's putting smiles on faces and entertaining a country when everybody's down was never part of any sort of excuse making. Uh, as it, I, as I, I did appreciate that yeah. fact. Like he's not trying to um, put put some bells and whistles on, on top of this. I mean, this was a business decision and they are certainly in a much different financial stratosphere than WWE is. And it was very subtle, but he, he did make the point that um, now is not the time for restructuring our, our company or anything like that. Like he made it somewhat, it, it was subtle, but he was like the idea of restructuring a company or reorganizing now is not the time for that. He says there will be a day eventually where he will have to, 
let go of people. And I don't know if he means, you know, this specifically relating to the results of the pandemic or just, you know, just the time when they do have to do. I I couldn't get a good, a good read if he was, if that was directly a correlation of this period or just down the road, they'll eventually have to make cuts, but yeah. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't even know yet either, but um, you know, he did speak on that. He also talked about how, uh, they've lost out on millions and millions of dollars due to the uh, revenue of, of the gate, live gates that they've had to cancel these shows for, including the Blood and Guts match in New, New Jersey. Um, but uh, yeah, what else? What, what else was, was kind of interesting? He just added, um, yeah, um, the, the the loss of revenue that it's been great that the you know the tickets that they had sold in particular the twelve thousand at the Prudential Center and um, and and they're down ten percent in viewership. He said. Uh, with the empty arena shows, but he said he was happy last week with um, with where the numbers were. Or sorry, he said he estimated they would be down ten percent in viewership. That was his estimate going into this, so he knew this was going to be um, turning off some people. Basically, like talked about how I mean they were essentially in in, in a bit of a panic mode once I think the lockdown seemed imminent to shoot as much content as they possibly could have, and he felt like he he seemed to feel bad, you know, asking people like like Aubrey and asking somebody like Tony Schiavone to stick around and do so much, film so much content, record so much content in the span of 24 to 48 hours. Um, but and, and overshoot. I mean, overshoot. he said like there were some matches that have not seen the light of day. And on tonight's show, they mentioned next week is going to be like a super edition of dark yeah. that I think all the excess matches are just going to end up there. So I, I, I could also see, some frustration for those that did those tapings that some of those matches, you know, they opted to go live this week and and we overshot. For but, sure. But I, mean, I mean, listen, like that's a small inconvenience, I think, in the grand scheme of things. Like everybody's, you know, being inconvenienced at a time like this. But yeah, I, I do wonder. They do have some, I guess, uh, dark matches at this point that they can use for future DVDs. Uh, so we talked about the UFC doing the COVID-19 testing this week, and now all these fighters and cornermen are posting the videos, which I just find repulsive to see these uh, these swab tests going up people's noses. I mean, oh, I just cannot watch these. Yeah, it's um, it's not comfortable. Pauline's done it twice. Um, oh, God. It's, it, 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 it really it, it sounds like it sucks. But um, so the, the, the city of thing we have. Yeah, the city of Jacksonville. Um, they are requiring uh, like AEW and UFC, like they have to do this testing. So that's why. So swab um, testing. Um, it sounds like both, both the swab testing and the antibody testing is being administered. And are they able to get the swab testing results? Like, I, I mean, anyway, there, there's, I, I suppose there's, there's still a lot about like uh, the forms of, of testing that I, well, I don't really well, know. Well, we got, we got the update. This was from Tony Khan earlier today saying that he, the wrestlers and staff had all tested negative uh, for COVID-19 and I mean, d- didn't really add any more details other than that. But um, this is from an interview today with uh, Brian Hughes, who is with the, the city of Jacksonville, mm-hmm. um, who stated that um, at least in the city, they are ma- any events that are, are running these sports events, they have to do this testing, but and also noted the fact that in Jacksonville they actually have a surplus of tests and available room in their hospitals. So this isn't a case where testing is extremely scarce in this city. They do have the tests to provide. It sounds like. Does that seem odd to you that a city I mean, in the U.S. Th- might have a surplus of testing when 
I mean, I feel like there's still places in that in the country that don't have a surplus. I mean, I I don't know how you break down like your your allocation of tests if it's you know by by city by state, uh, but Jacksonville is one that it's uh, a county that has not been the most hit in Florida. Right. Um, okay. But yeah, yeah. It, it, there is still, I guess, questions about you know the the amount of testing and where it's being spread. And as you're going to see more of these sports come out um, to me, when you hear this from the city that's stating this, it kind of gives cover to these companies that can just say, Hey, we're being told we have to do this testing um, as opposed to we're just hogging up these resources. But I I can see with more and more sports needing to go through this testing is going to be mandatory. And there will be those questions about, okay, if it's, it's one thing for an AEW event or a UFC show, if we're talking about an entire league uh, or regular testing every week for UFC fighters and AEW wrestlers, um, yeah, it, it does bring up that question about um, are, are these the people that that we need to be taking care of the most? Yeah, yeah. I And, you know, I, I understand new formats, forms of testing are being developed all the time with um, many different types of... So, so... I, I saw the um the the some sort of workers union who was doing the uh, associated with the testing with AEW today. This was a uh, IATSE, yes. Yes, they were posting about doing rapid testing, right? Yes, yeah they 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 just put up a, a posting today um about the some form of rapid testing. Yeah, well I I'm going by we. we we have seen like what what kind of testing the UFC is going under, and I would just assume AEW and UFC are go, go, have to have the same level of testing. Yeah, I mean, listen, as I, I guess the te- technology and the accuracy of the testing increases, um, and, and the abundance of tests uh, that are available uh, get used by by these companies. Um, it, it to me, unless there's a vaccine that comes out. Uh, this seems to me like the only way to really put at least, you know, critics at ease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like I'm not seeing a ton of um, pushback um, towards any of these events. Like I thought there would be more, um, especially for the UFC in this week leading up to it. And and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just a mentality of people have um They've gone through the the criticisms or it's just a a point where people are – they want to see what happens. Like, let's see. Maybe this event goes off without a hitch. Maybe it's um, fight fans that have seen, hey, the WWE has done this for – we're coming up on two months where they have not stopped and they had one test that came back positive. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, it's – we're not aware of anything else. So maybe it's – let's take this risk because if the UFC comes out of this weekend without any issues – I think that's going to be a across the board um, factor when it comes to leagues looking at, hey, this worked. We're moving forward. We're looking for any evidence that suggests we can move forward. Um, and if the UFC puts together this event this weekend without fail, then I think that's going to accelerate all of these other places that now have this example. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, and, you know, who's to say that's. Like people are rooting for this to succeed. Like everyone wants this to go well, um, and, and I think that's where we're at the point where it's the, the optimism is somewhat overshadowing the, um, the the caution about risk. I think now people are in a mindset where 
they're hoping for the best here and they want this. They're rooting for this to because this will mean maybe this is a small victory in this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Everything's changing all the time. Um, and I mean, if if they feel confident, perhaps they they actually have a right to if they can pass through so many hurdles um, with without any sort of incident. But again, um, I I I'm I'm not an expert certainly about what sort of uh, modern techniques are and the success rate of modern testing. But um, maybe we'll get uh, Dr. Patel on at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that is a good point, though. Like they did mention like uh, the IATSE statement about the the rapid test. So, yeah, still uh, more questions about that. Um, the raw rating from Monday way. You nailed it this week. They uh, fell. Finally. Yes. Wow. So hey, uh, we had one million six hundred and eighty six thousand viewers down seven percent. Uh, this. The lowest. The lowest number that uh, of anyone tracking raw numbers, this would be the lowest. Uh, this beats the the vaunted taped Christmas Eve edition from 2018. It is now out of the woods as the lowest, and now the May 4th edition of Raw holds that place. And I mean, didn't just squeak by; it took a commanding uh, mark uh, to fall this low, uh, doing a first hour of. 1,807,000 and then falling. Uh, 1,691,000 in the sec- second hour, 1,560,000 in the third hour. My gut would say that there, this, this downward trend will get at least one week off next week with the combination of coming off a pay-per-view and having Edge and Randy Orton advertised, I would think would curb them from doing an all-time low again next week. But... All bets are off. Are you sure we can bet? We put like five bucks on it. Uh, listen, this this trend to me, is, is, the question is: is the downward? Is this a snowball effect? Um, can any one name or return or set of circumstances augment it? Because I I didn't think they would fall this low this week. Um, I thought they would be right in the neighborhood of what they did last week, somewhere in that one point eight million range, and. The fact that they fell uh, 7% this week, I think that's very, very sizable, very notable. Well, it doesn't really surprise me to hear numbers like this anymore. But I think what what I'm more curious about is what, what sort of lessons do you think are, are to be learned from these stats? Well, obviously, WWE was right. They should not have changed that hard camera. That, yeah, clearly was the problem. It was all downhill after that, wasn't it? Yes. Um, it was interesting after we talked, the fact that I, I was thinking about this t- tonight as well. Like tonight's Dynamite, I, I thought, was a really solid show. And I'm looking back at like what were some of the other empty arena shows that really delivered. And that go-home show for WrestleMania, I thought was such a uh, great show. Now, it wasn't a tremendous show ratings-wise at the time. Uh, today, it would be much better. But – that featured a lot of great promos. And what did we get on this go-home show? Like, we got none of that. And I think it's just largely, there's, I think, um, a curiosity for this ladder match concept on Sunday. And I don't think there's any investment in any of the other programs or people at the moment. Like, Drew McIntyre, he's he's doing great. But I don't think anyone cares about this program Um I, I, I don't even know if it's so much that you could even uh, offset people tuning out. I, I think the fact we're falling this low, it's not like it's 
I think it's the empty arena. I think it's indifference in all of the key programs. I think it's just a mixture of everything. The leading factor being these these shows are just very, very tough to watch. But I think that there's also something to just the the actual lack of interest in some of the stories. Could be. Yeah, could be. Um I I I guess I just I, I don't know what they could really do, you know, to to stop the bleeding, so to speak. Um is it yeah, and I think. My, do you think they'll try anything, or do you think it's going to be status quo, we'll do, we'll same define, kind of raw? What's trying? You know, bring Stone Cold Steve Austin back for for a show, um, again, or Hulk Hogan again? I mean, even like their crutches, they've really exhausted. Like the Triple H thing, uh, didn't seem to do any sort of significant um, increase. Um, so I just, you know, outside of I think creating they haven't i guess tried. That, that first the first raw the first raw they did do you feel that uh, like you go back that was on march the 16th okay mm-hmm. march 16th episode of raw did uh two million three hundred and thirty five thousand viewers okay it was up eight percent from the week prior which was in front of fans do you attribute that number to a curiosity about what is this show going to look like in an empty arena setting and the novelty of it? Uh, do you attribute it to yes. that was the show that the Steve Austin was on? It could be any of these things. But at, at the same time, like if you were to tell me that you replicated that same level of quality of show today, I don't really think the I don't really think it would change things. That's my that's my personal opinion. Um, I feel like you can kind of throw some of those stats out the window because of the novelty of this empty arena thing. And, and instead maybe look at more statistics, you know, a, a week or two after that, um, to compare to, cause yeah, I, I just, I feel like we're kind of in a different territory right now. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is. Um, I'd be concerned just that it's going down so far and do, like not doing anything to me. Okay, we're just watching this. Con- the, the wound is just con- continuing to gush out blood. At what point do we grab a bandage and just try and 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 limit the bleeding? Do you still have uh, any bandages, though? Are you out? I mean, do, do you go back to a break where you you do put in some tape matches to? Um, and will ho- the, would that even help? Well, I go back to that March 16th show did have that Royal Rumble on it. And I do think people cared about the Royal Rumble. Um, I, I don't they know. tape matches after that? They no. continued to air them afterwards, but now they have had the break from it. So I'm saying, do you continue this format or do you, do you go back to that well? Again, there's not that many options. I think you have to, at this point, maybe, you know, even use this opportunity to think completely outside the box and try something very different from what you've been doing in the past. Uh, and not relying on bringing back old stars, but instead trying to do something, I would say, drastically different to shake up the formula and maybe just something to take advantage of this setting rather than, you know, using the setting as such a, like, almost displaying this current empty arena setting and continuing to soldier on what the shows that you were going to do in in uh, full stadiums anyway, but um, not really adapting them. I, I feel like things like, you know, these cinematic matches are align in 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 the right way of thinking you know i'm not saying do the cinematic matches for a whole three hours but I, i'm how so about glad. how about airing the boneyard match they haven't 
they haven't played that card yet. They haven't aired any any sort of old stuff yet, and um, perhaps there's a reason for it. But they, I'm not even saying they they should, because even that would be at best, you know, it might guarantee you a, a little bit of a spike for one particular hour. But after that, what do you do? I I think it it at this point we we could start looking at a bigger philosophical change on a on a bigger scale. But three hours is going to be difficult either way. It was difficult before this. It's, it's especially difficult now. When you're talking about wrestling at you know thirty percent of its capabilities, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I th- like you have to go into the like like Tony Khan said like I knew we'd lose ten percent for instance like you have to go into this knowing we're we're losing audience share like that is a given. It's at what point is there um, what where is the pressure point where we we have to uh, change things up? But to your point, uh, like again, you don't have this this. Uh, giant drop down menu of options either to go to do do you feel like they've there there is you know because i know traditionally you air a pre-tape package it might not do as well on a live tv setting but i mean i just i i watched that untold uh with triple h and mick foley and that thing was so good and it kept me so entertained for for a whole hour um and here we are talking about what like what is the hottest thing right now that everybody's talking about on television it's a documentary it's a documentary yep. series. And, you know, if they put the right amount of promotion behind, you know, uh, a documentary series like this Undertaker thing, for instance, you know, I, I would have premiered time. it on Raw. I would have taken the chance and premiered this part one on Raw on Monday night. I mean, if if we're to or you know what? I put it in the third hour because maybe maybe the last ride does not do one point five million viewers. Do I try it one week? Yes. I try it for one week to see if people will stick with it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm at that point. Like if this was a month ago, I'd be like, uh, I, I don't like that would be maybe too much of a risk right now. I don't think anything's off the table. I would absolutely air that Monday night. It's not as though you had sold this off to another network. It's not like this is airing on FS1. It's not like it has commitments elsewhere. It's on the WWE network, which let's be honest, I, I would be much more concerned with saving this, uh, this raw number at the moment that that would be my play. You know, I, I don't know what sort of commitments they have to, uh, I don't know, trying to maintain a certain number for, for their network. Uh, is it, is it, is the risk worth the reward, John? That I guess is, is the bigger question. But uh, if I were, if I were them, you know, and if I was struggling to, if I really cared about making sure this number was, was up there, I definitely think it's worth the risk. Yeah. Um, Dark Side of the Ring did 246,000 viewers for the Herb Abrams show. So it was uh, just below last week's number for David Schultz, still their third highest number. So continue. I, I think like this is kind of how we're – well, ne- next week, what, what do you see for the Road Warriors? Like I I don't think that there's – I think there's – certainly everyone knows the Road Warriors, but it's it's not to me like this uh, story that I, I – I don't know how much interest is going to be in ne- ne- next week's episode. I think if next week is anywhere in the ballpark of this week, it's totally on the dark side of the ring. Um, like just what their their foundation is that are tuning in every Tuesday night. Well, I would have said that about, about this Herb Abrams rating, and I was really impressed, honestly, by it. And to me, like it's a total in the bubble figure. There are like, more people that know the Road Warriors than there are Herb Abrams. That's that's just my feeling. Um, yeah, it is a great point. Like it's um, 
Like Herb Abrams, though, they promoted it well that this is a disaster. Like you are going to watch a disaster. And well, where was that promotion? Um, online. The, I mean, I'm sure on on Vice they were promoting this who's to watching? that that audience. I well, who's so. watching these episodes? Well, I mean, what they're... I mean is, I like I feel like I'm I'm like a, a prime target uh, for for the type of person that that might watch a show like that. And I I didn't really see any. I don't really see any sort of advertising for this show yet. Um, I guess in doing podcasts like this, I know what's coming up. I follow those guys on Twitter, so I know what's coming up. Um, but I, I, what I'm trying to say is, to, would any sort of promotion have any sort of significant impact outside of, you know, this is going to be the Chris Benoit show. This is going to be the, the Owen Hart show. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll continue to see what the trend is. I think it'll do really well. Yeah, I, I think they're going to continue to do well. I think Owen's going to be the biggest one. I think Owen will top. Uh, do you think Owen will top Benoit? Ooh, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say it's got a very good chance. Yeah. I mean, they built up a lot of steam right now. I mean, you're t- probably also talking about people that I don't know if they might have watched live that first week, but now that they are conditioned to watching this show at this particular time uh, through a number of weeks of repetition um, and the Owen one certainly has, you know, among the most interest of, of everything that they've done. And New Japan has canceled the best of the Super Juniors tournament. That was a formality. And they've also um, ca- canceled Wrestle Dynasty. Yes. Um, so th- those to me were givens that they were going to be off the schedule. I guess the most interesting thing was New Japan in the, in their statement noting that they are exploring the idea of empty arena shows, which would be a uh, a reversal of kind of what what their stance was going to be. And yeah, so. Wrestle Dynasty postponed until 2021 and best of the Super Juniors off the schedule. And I guess we will see if New Japan ends up going the empty arena route, which would tell you kind of where their thought is um, at at the moment when it comes to, you know, no revenue coming in and no timetable in sight of when they can resume this. I mean, this is a big tour that that's off. And next is, well, you have your, your Dominion show and, Thankfully, G1 was not scheduled for this summer because that would have been the next one to bite the dust, and it it still probably is going to be affected in the fall in some way. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Um, it, it remains to be seen how how willing people are going to be uh, to jump back into these arenas afterwards. So yeah, we could be feeling the effects for quite a while. Okay, all of your news is up at postwrestling.com, and let's move on over to Dynamite. From Daly's place in Jacksonville, Florida, the return of Jim Ross, the return of Excalibur, joining Tony Schiavone, and we got Pyro to open the show. It, it felt, this episode felt to me like the closest to you know what what was before um, for a wrestling show than anything we've seen from either AEW or WWE thus far. Uh, bigger roster, I mean, certainly far more people in the crowd. They had considerably more people than they had in the last set of tapings. I believe Tony said like this time they have 50% of the crowd uh, or sorry, 50% of the roster compared to a quarter last time. And, um, you know, the, the way they spaced them out across Daly's place was they still had baby faces on one side, heels on the other side, but they were also spread out far more. The, the, the ratio of baby oh. faces to heels. Great. <laughs> they greatly outnumbered the heels. They had like, they had like probably like 15 baby faces and maybe like four heels. Okay. So oh. I, 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 I thought, I thought Vince, I thought Vince Russo booked this, uh, this baby face dynamic <laughs> against the heels. Yeah. But you know, JR coming back, 
I personally absolutely still feel like it's an unnecessary risk for for them to take. But I do understand with some measure of increased testing, I can feel better about it. Uh, yeah, so we 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 had way more people here this week um, that that were present in the crowd. We saw uh, Hikaru Shida, Chris Statlander, MJF, Sean Spears, Britt Baker, Jimmy Havoc, Kip Sabian, Penelope Ford, Billy and Austin Gunn, The Best Friends, Orange Cassidy, Private Party, uh, and Pineapple Pete. Who had a big role on the show. Did have a, a really big role. Joey Janela and Cody kicked things off. No Brandy out with Cody. And they started off with a handshake. And Ross says that everyone has been tested and they are obeying social distancing. Uh, Janela starts off. He's, he does the big scratch the back and then drives Cody into the rope throat first. And he applies the Joe Stecker body scissors that Jim Ross describes in great detail. Yeah, I'm just thinking about them saying, okay, everybody's been tested. Not everybody's obeying social distancing because I don't think you would see the Joe Decker body body scissors. <laughs> like you wouldn't see wrestling if there everybody was obeying social distancing. But anyway, I digress. What are you talking about? I mean that 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 street fight when they they started brawling to the back. I mean there, there wasn't a soul in sight there, was there? I, I know what they mean, and people are going to get on me for for nitpicking. But I mean, um, let's not like this was a uh, this was a great show. I really enjoyed it. There's still this thing looming in the background that I don't want us to forget. I, I think that's completely responsible. And you can direct all your complaints towards me because, believe me, we have heard plenty of them uh, throughout this whole period. Uh, Sean Spears incorporated the air horn. I know you have been – you have set the precedent. You are anti-air horn. I like the air horn. I think it adds a lot of atmosphere, and I like the air horn. Depends on who's using the air horn, doesn't it? The guy no, who's it's just the sound. Mm, the guy who's holding the air horn for the entire like a five ten second air horning, like that person should be just like deported from any, whatever country that they're air horning in. <laughs> but the guy who just goes burp, 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 like the the tiny spurts, I can I can bear with it. Gives it a like like a lucha feel. I, I that's what I associate air horns with the most, and I, I like the utilization of it here. Um, on the floor, Janela appeared to try this headstand like he was Ultimo Dragon onto the ramp, and he was he was not getting up for that one. No, unfortunately not. I mean, it was certainly a bit more of an awkward angle, maybe even higher, trying to do this on the bottom to the ramp. But Cody, I thought, with a veteran call, just said, let's bail. and let's We're moving on. on. We're yeah. moving on. It wasn't that awkward, like, okay, let's restart and try it again kind of uh, awkwardness. Um, so Cody hit a moonsault off the stage. Uh, later, uh, Joey Janela hits a top rope elbow, and we cut to uh, Leroy out in the front row. Yeah, this is apparently a QT Marshall student named Nasty Leroy, who um, mm -hmm. everybody seems to really like. Yeah, got the big big call here. I was like, by the end of the night, I wanted Jericho to face Leroy next week. He could be the next Pineapple Pete. Could be. Uh, Cody can't hit the crossroads. He tries the Cody cutter, but is caught in midair with a German, which was a nice sequence. Janela missed a moonsault off the top. Cody hits the Cody cutter from the top. They get into the striking battle, and Cody just grabs him. Crossroads wins the match in 13 minutes, 29 seconds, and they shook hands at the end. I, I thought that this was like a really good outing for Joey Janela as a whole. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was a good little opening match. We got to see more of Joey Janela's versatility, which I think has kind of been his story thus far in this age 
AEW run. He's not just your deathmatch wrestler who jumps off of roofs. Like, he can actually wrestle, and he continued to show that here in an engaging 15-minute match with Cody. Um, You know, Cody, he... I wonder if he'll even be in the main event of Double or Nothing, because, I mean, judging by the TV, certainly the past month due to circumstances, he's been a bigger presence than somebody like John Moxley. Um, what do you think, John? Do you think that... What do you think will main event? I think Cody and Archer is going to... Look, granted, we... Uh, actually, to be honest, it seems like whatever they're building with with the inner circle, with... Um, that match, I could actually see that being the, the main event of this show. Uh, after hearing the AEW title match, I, I don't see that one going on last, but, um, Mm -hmm. if they do, it's just, they want to keep that title in that position. But that was another note from the Tony Khan interview was stating like the TNT title. It is like, it it is the same value as the AEW title. Like that's their thinking Mm -hmm. about it. Like you have the AEW title, you have the TNT title and they're equals. It's not a, this is number one. This is number two. It would absolutely make a statement if they decided to put that match in the main event, you know, Mm -hmm. to to, to tell you, Hey, this is worth as much as the actual belt. So, you know, his continued presence is sort of like the, the lead on this show is important for at least this program with the belt. Most of my attention, though, admittedly, was on the return of the commentary team. I've shared my thoughts on JR's presence, but that aside, it was really nice to hear, to hear the three of them together again. They have excellent chemistry, and, and JR— They're friends. You can see, like, yes. these guys are friends, mm-hmm. and it's like it's just fun to hear. And I think we kind of get this—I uh, w- I won't say for all the commentary teams in WWE, but uh, in particular, um, I go back to that, that Raw team when it was Cole, Graves, and Renee, and it was like— and I can buy that they're all legitimately friends off screen, but on camera, it was just like the bickering and undercutting each other. And you'd get that all the time, too, like with, you know, just like mm-hmm. there's no chemistry right now with 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 Jerry Lawler, with Phillips and Braxton um, Saxton. Uh, it, it just I think you take for granted like that chemistry where it's like you're sitting down and you're listening to like three friends chat about wrestling and they're all wrestling fans and they're all just having a great time watching wrestling and you're the viewer that gets to sit in on this conversation i thought jr in particular on this show sounded like he was having so much fun like doing this and and i could completely understand you know being pent up at your house for a month not being able to do the thing that you're born to do and now finally be able to go back here and to do it it felt like he was enjoying it so much and it really comes across in the quality of the commentary he in like he right now like you know a year into AEW he's at the point where he has like really good intimate knowledge about the entire roster their backstories their current storylines and it's it's again some of the best I've heard him in like years so I I, I really you know despite how I feel about him being on the shows I thought he sounded great. They recap Nyla Rose's win over Riho, which took place 14 years ago on February the 12th. And Shivani is nervous interviewing Nyla Rose, and she cuts a promo, and then they cut to Britt Baker rolling her eyes back, um, which was uh, became quite the meme afterwards. I mean, th- this woman knows exactly when that when that red light is on to make the most of her minutes, uh, even if she doesn't have a microphone. Absolutely, yeah. That's like, you know, when she started, I I don't I know she was sort of a featured player, like among the three female signees that they had between her, Nyla, and, um, uh, sorry, I forget, uh, Kaylee Ray? Kylie Ray. Kylie Ray. Kylie Ray. Kylie Ray. Um, and, like, I didn't really see it in Britt Baker at the time. I don't know how many people really did. But now you really do understand why she could be, like, someday the franchise player of this division because she just, the charisma is just so off the charts. 
this video package I thought was good. Like you needed a bit of a reset to tell that your audience, hey, after a month of like soda, not everybody appearing, here's who this is who Nyla Rose is. This is who Britt Baker is now, and she's a totally different person than she was two months ago. And I thought like the the presence of Penelope Ford in the same conversation elevates her as well into this upper tier. Nyla Rose took on 18-year-old Kenzie Page, who's been wrestling since she was 14, trained by Tom Pritchard and Glenn Jacobs in uh, in Knoxville, at 18 years old. Wow. This girl was probably born around the time of the first brand split. Jeez. Yeah, 2000, like about 2001, 2002. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. Um, I thought she had like a real good look of fear on her face right before she got killed with this clothesline. Uh then Rose hit her with a with a swanton, went for the cover and lifted her up at two and proceeded to hit her with two power bombs, followed by the beast bomb in two minutes and 20 seconds. And then afterwards, they showed Hikaru Shida staring her down, Chris Statlander reaching for the imaginary title and uh, yeah, kind of just teasing which woman would be going for this. And next week we'll get a, a four way with uh, Shida, Statlander, Britt Baker and I think it's Ford is the fourth one. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. I thought it was a good squash match. You know, Nyla got to showcase not only her moveset here, uh, getting, you know, again, remind, reminding people of what her moves are. She got to showcase a good deal of her personality. And I really feel like her confidence has increased so much in like, you know, a little under a year, even really just, just the six months since she's been on TV. Um, and again, like she's somebody who you really get the sense has been chomping at the bit to perform after a month layoff. So it, it, it resulted in, I thought, a really great burst of energy for this squash match. MJF did a take promo, and he said that there's people that are claiming to be the next big thing and notes that they're closing in on 30. He's already the big thing after five or six months of being on national TV, and people will move the goalposts on him, stating, well, he's no Ric Flair, or he's not Roddy Piper, and he's no Rock. Well, he's a 24-year-old that has taken their spot. He's a prodigy. He's going to be a champion. And I have more it in my pinky finger than your entire body. He is something that this sport has never seen. And he's going to replace his chair with his throne as he stands up, stubs his foot, and then says, next week, I sit down on my throne as the PA in the back replaced his seat with his throne. So next week, MJF will have a match. Presumably in this throne, which will make it very difficult to defeat his opponent. Oh, a, a sitting down match? Like a foot, like game of footsies? Uh, could be, yes. And he's going in injured after this uh, this injury wow. he suffered here at the end of the promo. So it's going in weakened. What would be the uh, sanitary type of uh, fight you could have right now? Game of footsies. You could do that. You could um, anyway. cover up and... <laughs> This was a really great, like, smooth, high-level promo. And there's really no other word to describe this guy but, like, prodigy. Like, he, he, this promo was there to remind us of how young he was. And, like, normally I would say, oh, this dude is just a talented guy. But when he reminds me that he's only 24 and he's this good, I really, it, it, it really is amazing. He's at a level of smoothness and delivery that you really can't find anywhere right now in professional wrestling. So... It, you know, it was nice to get those little cell phone videos, but the gimmick and I think his character works so much better under like a big budget, nicely shot, nicely lit set. So I'm glad we got that again. 
Sean Spears says that Dustin's career is over after the loss to Lance Archer, and he blames Cody for not saving his brother. He says, I have a younger brother, and I would do anything to shield him from that. And he asks why Cody wouldn't do that for his brother and thinks that he can carry on the Rhodes name by himself. So, um, yeah, keeping this Cody-Sean Spears feud always on the back burner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if, like, this was meant to build up to any sort of significant program between the two. I I guess I, I just saw it more as, you know, Spears being the one to really dig the knife into sort of, like, the, the question of whether or not Cody is truly, um, I guess, um, you know, caring about his brother or he, if he's sort of, like, in it for his own ego, which is, I guess, a big part of the storyline and the reason why they had to have Dustin Rhodes cut himself open last week on that match is to try to drive this wedge between Cody and Dustin. Um, and I thought Spears did a great job here. Like, he sounded really good playing this sort of, like, shit-disturber role. Mm-hmm. Maybe Dustin ends up as the tag partner. For Spears. Oh, interesting. Okay. Hmm. Did, Shivani, did he have to submit a video? Um, y- yeah, he would have to be uh, Dustin from Austin. Have they dropped that whole thing? I haven't been fall. I mean, they haven't had Tully there, so I mean that that kind of he was kind of the one spearheading that that whole gimmick. Um, he's the one watching know. the the YouTube videos and the Twitter submissions. Well, maybe he's at home researching all of these uh, all of these tapes. Maybe he's he's signing up for streaming services and he's he's out there actively scouting. He's got like a Google Drive. Yeah, he's on Cage Match. <laughs> this is what Tully's doing at the moment. Instead of talking, which is what that man should be doing every week. Uh, Shivani is with MJF and Sean Spears. And I think we went from like uh, Spears with a beard in this promo to like he was clean shaven here. Was I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I mean, they probably shot this, the Spears interview before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or he Uh, shaved between matches. could, Could happen. Uh, MJF calls his, uh, says that he's he's happy to be here with his peers who are doing play wrestling, but they get to see him next week. And he calls Spears uh, brave for calling out the real Cody. Spears calls MJF the greatest comeback story ever, and MJF says he has overhealed his injury. Yes, yes. So he's 110%. Yes. He he has been the most overheal on this show most weeks. <laughs> so... Not lying. This is when Tony Schiavone gets uh, the word in his ear from Tony Khan direct that MJF will take on Jungle Boy at Double or Nothing. So the any idea of the uh, the Moxley MJF tease uh, was not happening here. So that that is the singles match for Double or Nothing. I don't even remember the Moxley MJF tease. Well, it, it wasn't even so much a tease. It was more so MJF just stayed. You know, he got the big win over Cody and then was saying he wants to go for the title. That that seemed, you know, when you look at the heels that went over at Revolution, I I mean, he would be in that category of challengers for Moxley. Well, but, I mean, it wasn't like they shot like an angle or anything. Well, no, you like you're even reminding me right now of MJF's last program, and it was a pretty significant one, right? Um, coming off a of Revolution, but that just feels like such a long time ago. And you're talking about somebody like MJF who's been off of TV for so long. You're mm-hmm. gonna you're in a position where you kind of have to build build up again from the bottom. Not from the complete bottom because he's so good and so established anyway, but, you know, a, a level of like a Jungle Boy is a good way to start him back up. John Moxley and Frankie Kazarian had a match that, that went through uh, a commercial break here. 
it was a non-title match, and this featured uh, Christopher Daniels and Scorpio Sky out with Kazarian. So the the California crew um, seemed nope. like there were quite a few of them, but yeah, no Young Bucks, no Bucks, yeah, no no Page on the show either. No, no Page, no DDP, Hangman. Oh, Hangman Bo- Page. Okay, pages. gotcha. Yeah, sure. Hey, was that not the most? Uh, maybe of all the wrestling shows. Maybe the most responsible scene we have seen so far was on Road to Double or Nothing yeah. when QT went to go visit DDP. And it was like – it wasn't even done – like there was a portion of it that it was kind of presented as like kind of tongue-in-cheek. But also like not presented as like this guy's out of his mind. It's like here is what is a normal way to communicate during this time period. And they did the scene in like a way that I thought it was like an actually – responsible message to be sending out and and doing here yeah and for people who haven't seen it on the on the latest road to to double or nothing they had qt marshall prior to his match with lance archer go to ddp's house to get advice from ddt ddp i guess and ddp tells him not to come into his house when he approaches but to go to the back where qt marshall is told to grab a chair so that he can talk to ddp through a glass pane over the cell phone, um, it was you know a lot of a lot of theatrics, but yeah, I totally thought it was nice to see. It, it, he's certainly taking it seriously. So uh, the match here, Kazarian works a headlock forever. Um, this, they mentioned this is his first singles match since January of 2019. Um, he gets sent over the top, and then. We talked about uh, Jim Ross and Daniels and Scorpio Sky and Chris Statlander also making the trip back for a big return, picture-in-picture. Mm-hmm. The picture-in-picture commercial break. I think it was only like this and one other match that featured it, but uh, the picture-in-picture the, the picture was back. Um, anyway, we have Moxley come off the turnbuckle Cause, into a— Because you can't do it for a tape show, right? No, no, you, you could, can, but like you'd be like recording three minutes of like content, be a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Moxley got drilled by a boot coming off the turnbuckle to the floor, and Jr. put over this near fall, huge when Kazarian went for it. Like Jim Ross seemed like shocked that Moxley kicked out. I thought he really sold that really, really well. Uh, Paradigm shift gets blocked. Moxley then kicks out of this really tight submission and Kazarian goes to the top, gets stopped and then misses in the corner and off the rebound. Moxley catches the paradigm shift and wins the match. Do you happen to get the time for this one? No, because it went through the commercial break. So I don't don't know what the uh, the real time was. Yeah, I mean, um, it was long. That's 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 what I was just uh, curious about. You know how long it actually was. Um, I, I thought it was a fine match, but never grabbed me. You know, if I compare this to some of their other matches with their champion against, you know, a, a mid-carder in the past, like a Scorpio Sky versus Chris Jericho type of match, I, I thought this was considerably weaker than some of those. We've had, you know, zero mention of Kaz at all in these weeks. And I think without a heel like a Chris Jericho to play off of for Kaz, it it felt, mm, it just didn't feel like it had that sort of excitement. It was tough to get into Kaz's story. Not to mention the fact that this was certainly a slower, more drawn out style of match. Yeah, I, I didn't think this one really hit that next level at, at any point. And I was curious to see it with Kazarian in this in this single spot. But I think it was it was a very slow start just with the the focus on the headlock for as long as they went with that. And it just didn't seem to ever 
get to that next level, save for that near fall spot that I, I thought did work well for that period. But then we get all of the minions from the Dark Order running in to attack Moxley. SCU runs in, and they're trying to save them. JR then asks, as everyone's all the baby faces are beaten down, is there no one else here that gives a damn? And I mean, it was especially um, it was especially a spotlight on this this hole when you had all of these baby faces that were all just there ringside. Like we don't even have the oh, they're in the shower. It was like they were just standing there and they were not getting involved here with Dark Order. So Brody Lee comes out to attack Daniels and nail Moxley with a discus lariat and says he's here to answer the bounty Moxley put on his own head. No one's here to save him, which was truth. And he has the crown jewel of pro wrestling and makes the challenge for a title match. He doesn't know if John's a movie star now. Is he an MMA fighter? Or what he is, is a fatherless boy from Cincinnati, which is... I took as a play off of one of the most famous scenes in the history of Ultimate Fighter when Josh Koscheck and Bobby Southworth were bullying Chris Lieben and it escalated to when Bobby Southworth called Chris Lieben a fatherless bastard. And Chris Lieben went to destroy this house. He took down a door and at the end of it, you're you're thinking, oh my God, they're going to throw off Chris Lieben is like the ultimate babyface in this situation. Bobby Southworth and Josh Koscheck are the most hated heels. And you're thinking, are they going to throw them off the show? And Dana White announces right at the end of the show, no. Next week, Chris, C- Chris Lieben, you're going to fight Josh Koscheck. And that show ended. And instantly, everyone knew this series is going to be incredible. And this fight, you could not wait a week to see this fight at the end of it. It was one of the biggest moments in tough history. I certainly remember that really well, and um, I mean, I was already pretty hooked on that show, but I mean, that entire series and incident, incidents like that uh, definitely made me an MMA fan. That fight did over 2 million viewers, a taped fight that aired at 11 p.m. Well, later than that, it would have aired late in the show, so before midnight uh, on a Monday night on Spike. Yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic storytelling, I felt. You know, um, but was Brody Lee paying tribute to it specifically here? It's what I thought of here. Fatherless boy from Cincinnati. Uh, possible. It's possible. It would be really obscure for him to like suddenly dig that up. But it's possible. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't even know that about Moxley. Uh, Moxley says, all you had to do was ask. And Harper then kicks him in the face. The minions swarm him. And Brody Lee leaves with the AEW title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was our first time seeing Brody Lee with the Dark Order at, at full force or at near full force. And um, he looks great with the minion standing behind him. He really does have a presence of somebody who would be a stable leader. Promo, I thought, was, you know, okay. I think right now the struggle is still trying to not feel like a generic cult leader, which uh, I, I worry that the Dark Order still kind of feels that way. But at least it's not like... It's not aggravating like another um, cult leader that we've been seeing on TV lately. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> setting the bar at uh, just uh, I'm straining my neck looking at how high it's set. It, it really is unfortunate that Uno and Grayson can't be there because like they put in all that work, you know, to set up the Brody Lee thing. And then now they can't be here. But in a way, they are kind of lucky that things timed out the way they did, because let's say like the Brody Lee thing, like 
wasn't even scheduled. Um, let's say Brody Lee was still on contract and couldn't even join AEW until like the summer. Then this whole Dark Order thing would just be completely on ice. So at least Brody Lee can just like grab the baton and keep it going for now. And that's going to be the AEW title match at Double or Nothing. John Moxley versus Brody Lee. And I think that they like I think they'll probably have like um so, some good ideas for the next two weeks, but it is, you know, counting this, three episodes to build this up and like on paper, you do want to distance this away from being Dean Ambrose versus uh, Luke Harper. But I think that you come back with a big promo from Moxley next week. But it's it's two weeks to build this up, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think Moxley has done such a great job of reinventing himself. I I, I don't have, have that concern personally. But if you're talking perhaps like a WWE fan who hasn't been watching that much AEW, could they go in with seeing that on the marquee and thinking that this is you know nothing more than a SmackDown match? I guess it's possible, but how much can they really do, you know, to help that? I, I think it's actually, it could work out very well that people may have that instant comparison of just remembering these two from their WWE time and feuding together. Mm. And Brody Lee, I mean, think of like, this guy wants to go out and have a career match yeah. and they have, you know, the handcuffs will be off in this match for these two to really uh, impress people. And I think if you're going in with kind of maybe a, a sour taste based on past memories, they could really uh, surprise everyone. And uh, that would not shock me at all because I think, you know, Brody Lee, this is a super important match for him. Absolutely. And I think stylistically, these two could be fantastic opponents for one another. Um, I could, I can already tell this, this is going to be a really hard hitting match, you know, um, both guys were like tremendous brawlers and I think very, like very fast and very dynamic. And I, it, it's a match that I, I'm sure will look very different in AEW than it did on SmackDown, for instance. Uh, how do you book it? It's a tough one to, to, to consider. It's either, it's either Moxley just beats him. Or you do something to extend this a little bit. Um, I think that's possible. Like, this is such a short program. It's it's two and a half weeks uh, of buildup. It just would seem like a lot to just beat Brody Lee right out of the gate and extinguish this. Um, but, I mean, AEW, they seem very hesitant to do any kind of screwy finishes as well. So mm. it's it's not the easiest match to, to book, but it also has that... I, I, like, I do feel when Tony Khan books, it's also with the the idea in mind that you build up both sides so that you don't you don't really know how you get out of this like one mm-hmm. of these guys like it's you can make the argument like neither should be losing right now and that does add an interest level um if you're a fan that's that's following at that level when you approach a scenario where you say oh man both neither guy can afford a, a loss right now that to me is like the sign of a show of a match that you know is is kind of worth watching because you don't know who's going to win because both guys have something to lose Brody Lee certainly you know uh if he were to suffer a loss it would um you know stain I I would say the whole thing a little bit but there are ways to get around that and certainly if Moxley loses of course he loses the belt I don't expect the title change I expect Moxley to actually you know be given the win here but I do expect them to find a way to be to allow Brody Lee to be kept looking strong by the time the, the show is over yeah, I do think you need a winner and a loser. I don't I don't think you want to introduce that to your fan base that when you do have that situation of, oh man, who's going to win this? You can't beat either guy. 
that you like in WWE, it's just it's a given. It's like, oh, they can book themselves out of this. You don't have that established in a lot of other companies that, you know, you're going to get a winner and a loser. And that's where you get the the value out of building up a program in such a way that, you know, I buy the show. I'm getting a winner and a loser. So I do think they have to do that. QT Marshall. Uh, sorry. First, we had the Brandy Rhodes spot. Uh, this was a taped response to Jake Roberts. She received his message and plots out the two of them theoretically confronting her in the ring, asking what the next action is going to be from them. She says this isn't 1991, and if you slap me in the face, I'll slap you back. And there's a lesson my mom taught me. Don't fuck with people you don't know. And she says that she isn't Caesar's Cleopatra or Samson's Delilah or Bill's Monica. Keep my name out of your dirty old mouth, bitch. She just sounded really good here. Um, she has a level of confidence that, that feels very authentic and natural. Uh, I think her role here was, you know, not just to, I guess, carry on the storyline and build this feud between uh, Cody and, and Lance Archer, but to come across as an equal to Jake. And she certainly seemed like that confident, you know, and, and that's, I'm sure, not an easy feat, you know, matching up with Jake Roberts on a microphone. QT Marshall uh, was joined by Brandy against Lance Archer and out came Jake who was just like lingering in the background with his face mask on. And it was the most maniacal visual of seeing Jake just in the shadows with this mask on. This guy looked like he was right out of a comic book. So Jake, Jake showed up here and he, they kept him in the corner. And I do wonder if, if like that was done to limit his, um, interaction or to could have been to increase his, although he, his he distance got involved at the end i was gonna say yeah <laughs> if, if that was an attempt to to distance him from the other participants in the ring it, it was certainly violated by the end of this this match uh archer did as usual destroyed a guy in the front row and then the match begins um it's all Archer until QT does a low bridge, sending Archer to the floor and then gets caught and choke slammed on the edge of the apron. So they go through the break. Britt threatens with her shoe, prompting Brandy to take the shoe and toss it into the stands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're, they're using the shoe thing as for, for an angle. There's a handspring insiguri by QT as Ross compares him to Antonio Inoki. Uh, which Excalibur missed the time Inoki did a handspring. Uh, Jake is looking pissed here because QT is in control, but then Lance comes back with the running shoulder block, hits the blackout, lifts QT on the cover, and applies the EBD claw, drilling the head into the mat and gets the pinfall. When he did the EBD claw in New Japan, did it come with like a slam or was it just the claw? Uh, he didn't. He didn't do the uh, the, the head smashing. Okay, so the claw in New Japan even was was just the claw itself. Uh, yeah, so he would do he would do the slam sometimes. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I, anyway, yeah. So, I, you know, I th- I, th- I think they've done a great job with Lance Archer using this tournament. Um, I mean, it's clear he was one of the the principal um people that they wanted to focus on with this entire tournament, and he's really done a great job every time he's had to go out there to perform. He has just brought great intensity to all of his matches. Um, and I like the simplicity of the booking here. You have Lance Archer one by one destroying all the people closest to Cody before the match. 
Yeah. I really like QT on that Road 2 episode this past week. Just like this, this presented just on its own is a nothing match that has no drama attached to it. But they spent like five minutes building this match up if you watched Road 2 that you're watching it and you're rooting for QT. Like he's taken this match so seriously. He's gone to DDP for assistance and it's, and it's largely just to lose to Lance Archer, but they're giving you some sense of hope that QT can, can rally, or at least he's the sentimental favorite here. And that to me is so much, so much of a better way to do this style of match than to have just thrown this out there cold where there's no stakes and you know exactly what this is and you got to go through a commercial break and you know exactly how this is ending. Everyone knows how this was going to end, but they're at least trying to give you some semblance of doubt, even if it's small. That's because you watch row two, though. Well, maybe like that's an argument that that could have could have aired on this, because I think that that built up this match effectively. And you're right. If you don't watch that, um, that's how this match would have come across, just like uh, a squash match you would see on Raw. One 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 of the benefits, or I mean, if you want to even consider it a problem, is that they f- clearly filmed Road to like in the off week when you know when when they they didn't have anybody around or but like unless you live with that crew, unless you live with like the ca- the excellent camera crew that that uh, the Nightmare Family have, you know, can a private party be a part of something like this? You know, if they don't live, well, in private the party got their got their own editor um, that uh, was inserting. Uh, into BTE this week. Oh, that's right. You're right. Yeah, never mind. So yeah, I guess they can. It just won't look this good. Um, So Baker comes back attacking Brandy with a DDT on the floor, which I thought was like uh, really clever, having her laid out with the DDT for what was to come. True, yeah. And tossed her into the ring, and she's unconscious as Lance is standing there, and out comes Jake with a snake. And he comes in and he places the snake on top of Brandy and the announcers start explaining how far the locker rooms are because you need a golf cart to get here. And on top of that, before this segment aired, Cody took a picture with Lester. That's his name? Lester? The trainee? Leroy. 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 I'm sorry. With Leroy and posted it on Twitter saying, I'm about to hit the showers, but then he put over Leroy in this tweet. It was like they they went to great lengths to explain Cody's absence here. That's a really good detail. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, this was a you know a, a fairly big angle here, utilizing the snake. This would have, I can't imagine what the audience would have reacted like uh, if there was one here. But um, yeah. What did you think think about it? Um, I wasn't a fan of it. I mean, I think Jake with the snake is, is a big nostalgic thing, which is kind of cool. Uh, it was more so Jake proceeding to put the snake onto Brandy and then laying on top of Brandy. I mean, hovering on top of Brandy, um, with like very visual implications that I thought were very clear. I, I feel like it's one thing to get Jake to come down here. And I have the same issues with Jake being down here as I do with JR. Um, but I don't know. I felt like it was another to have him like <laughs> climb on top of Brandy. It just, it was just a really bizarre visual that kind of, I thought was pretty tasteless and kind of took me out of it, especially number one, it's, it's, it's a weird visual first of all, but then you're also trying to maintain the illusion of social distancing for a senior, senior citizen, which um, it kind of took me out. I, I would say, yeah, that and like in or out of uh, context, I mean, it's just, 
I don't know if you want that visual on your television of here's this unconscious woman that this man is over top of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just feel like, you know, to me, like, I know Jake's got a big segment next week. They, they promoted that. Um, right. I, I personally, feel, personally feel like he would be able to accomplish just as much in a pre-tape. I also do understand that, like, DDP hasn't really been shy about talking about Jake's issues staying at home. And that perhaps, you know, for his own sanity, he needs to be out here um, doing something. That I completely understand as well. So it, it, it's it, for me, even I like I, I, I struggle to like know what the right thing to do is it, what the right thing to do would be in a situation like this. But I, I definitely had a weird reaction, I think, to, to this segment, though. They announced uh, for the pay-per-view the uh, the matches we had gone over Moxley and Brody Lee, MJF and Jungle Boy, Cody and Lance Archer and a casino ladder match for a future AEW world title shot that they will go over the rules of next week. And I guess the participants as well that we are not aware of, but that on paper, I'm kind of not looking forward to yet another empty arena ladder match, but it will probably be a spectacular match once we know the participants, but I definitely have had my fill of ladder matches. Well, it won't be empty because they'll have like the roster lined out around the ring. So it'll feel slightly different. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I don't know. I'm just I'm just kind of just totally hit my max on on ladder matches of late. Mm. But um, that's the four matches they have announced so far. Taz tried to interview Darby Allen, and he tries to ask him how he feels, and Darby just storms off. Taz noted how he pinned himself last week and offers to chat with him offline. Darby did not seem interested in this. I was I couldn't tell if this was like the start of an angle with Darby and Taz or, or just some sort of like awkward one off. Uh it was awkward, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Next week on the show, Brody Lee versus Christopher Daniels, MJF will be in action, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus taking on best friends, Lance Archer and Jake Roberts will have a big interview, and then we have a four way with Penelope Ford, Chris Statlander, Britt Baker, and Hikaru Shida, and Chris Jericho. Versus Pineapple Pete. Oh, they announced the match itself? They did announce it, yeah. They oh. they said here in action, and then during the main event, they announced Pineapple Pete is the opponent. Gotcha, right, right. I mean, that to me sounds like a pretty full two-hour show. That sounds like the entire... like That should rundown. be the whole show. And when you are doing these shows, whether you're doing them live or, or taped, and both companies are doing kind of uh, both at the moment... I think for Raw, there is no reason not to be announcing as much as you can in advance. I think that's mm-hmm. that's not helping things at all either. When you're tuning in and you know that you're getting uh, Drew McIntyre against Murphy. I suppose the problem is, like, do they have good things to announce? I think just having a, a long list of things, it, it's better than nothing. We're, we're seeing what announcing a contract signing a week in advance is. Um, mm-hmm. you know, AEW is listing, you know, you don't know what the quality of this is going to be, but it's but, listing but out every, matchups. like, okay, well, guess what? There's, there's tons you can utilize in WWE. You've got a roster of, uh, well, up until the end of the year, you had 300 people under contract. No, you're right. You should, you're right. They, they should, should not be having this problem that everything is so stale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Main event, Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara against Kenny Omega and Matt Hardy. In this insane street fight. Off the top, Tony Schiavone gives a shout out. It's National Nurse Week. Yes. Shout out. Very conscientious of uh, Tony Schiavone to to mention this. Mm. 
Jake Hager is out with Jericho and Guevara, and Jericho's sporting a baseball bat. And Pineapple Pete goes to slap Jericho, and I immediately thought, I was like, this has to be the match next week. And it turns out that's going to be the match next week. And Jake Hager just stared a hole down into Pineapple Pete. If they don't start selling those shirts when there's oh, he, audiences. He already is. I believe this, oh, guy, is he? this guy on his pro wrestling t-shirt. It's just oh, good for him. Yeah. Good for him. Oh, Jericho's um, probably making him a Like, he's building this guy's career. Oh, completely. It starts off with Matt biting Sammy's hand as the match begins. And we go through this. And at one point, Matt is taken out of the match. And he comes back as Hardy Boy Matt. Yes, and we can tell this because he was wearing his, like, Hardy Boy. Um, oh, dude, he went to Hot Topic during the commercial break here. Cargo pants, shiny uh, oh, boy. T-shirt. <laughs> You know, um, and, and and I guess now this is his new gimmick. He transforms into his various vessels mid-match. Like, um, we just saw him, like, in this stuff, like, th- for the Randy Orton feud. Like, he was this character at the end, but I still found this so jarring. Oh, for sure. You know, um, I, I felt like the announcers didn't really sell the transformation that much, or at least not this one. You know, like, I think Excalibur mentioned it, but then, like, Tony... And and Jr. were just almost like carrying on with the match as if like he didn't do anything but to but change his shirt. Where I yeah I, they they did they really didn't get into it until he turned into Damascus. Yeah, you're right. Like this, um, it, it almost just felt like it wasn't even that uh, noticeable. Yeah, and, and I mean he was doing like the Hardy Boy spots. He did the twist of fate, um, and then they they set up a table, uh, where. Matt climbed up a ladder, splashed Sammy Guevara, and put him through the table. And we think the match is going to end when Bryce Remsburg is pulled to the floor by Jake Hager. And then they attack Kenny on the floor. Go through the picture-in-picture. We come back. They have now moved to the concession area. And Jericho is leaning into the ice box. And he grabs a bag of ice and hits Matt with it. And they stuff Matt into the ice box and close the doors while Omega attacks them with trash can shots. They fight by an ATM, which has cash there that Sammy Guevara finds. Completely not advisable during this this era. Um, sure, yeah. Well, I mean, they were tested. Well, Guevara gets power bombed into the steel garage door, and then Jericho runs a crate on these wheels into Omega followed by a suplex onto the guardrail, which is when Matt emerges from the icebox as Damascus and gets into a golf cart. He, it looked like this golf cart was not going to start to the point that they cut away and then he got the thing going. He runs into Jericho, who bumps off of taking the uh, golf cart, and then Omega and Matt Hardy are in this golf cart, and they start mowing down Guevara, who is running for his life, and takes the greatest bump ever when they hit him with this thing. Dude, this guy like got basically like he got run down like <laughs> as if he was, you know, like in the street. He was a pedestrian. Like he took this the, the you you've probably seen like the gif already on Twitter, but it was <laughs> amazing. The shot of him running as this car is chasing him over oh, the his look on his face down. was just oh. This is right out of a, like a horror movie or it, something. It was so good. There were so many onlookers here. There was like a child here that was just watching this this street fight. Um, Jericho gets onto this table and Omega goes up on a scissor lift and 
they end up standing up from the table. Jericho is with Hager and Matt. Kenny proceeds to stand on top of this elevated scissor lift and moonsaults off of it onto the concrete, dude. It was a beautiful moonsault. Like, oh, my God. Right onto Hager and, and Matt Hardy. I mean, he nailed this for what he was attempting to achieve. He takes Kenny. Uh, he takes Jericho. They have now made their way to like the uh, the TIAA Bank Field. So you see the football field in the background. They come onto the grass, and and, and just to let people know, Daly's place is a venue attached to the Jaguars field. Yeah, they haven't gone out. Uh, like it's all it's all connected. But he lifts Jericho up to deliver the one winged angel onto the grass. When Santana and Ortiz show up, stopping Kenny. They powerbomb Matt through the table and then powerbombs him onto top of the cart, onto the the roof of the cart, followed by a Judas effect on Omega, and Jericho pins him. And this ends with the inner circle reunited together, the bubbly bunch themselves. They pose with the football stadium in the backdrop. This was an incredible visual and ended just this insane main event that I will say... Um, Extras aside, um, I, I thought this thing was really, really spectacular. It was an incredibly entertaining backstage street fight. And, I mean, I I hate to bring this match up again, but, I mean, if we're going to compare, you know, empty arena backstage street fights, this had everything <laughs> that Edge Norton didn't. Like, it was, I would consider this even more of, like, a DDT outdoor venue type of brawl with, like, just, like, very creative spots uh really ridiculous spots in some cases but really entertaining throughout rather than just a backstage plunder match with guys just slamming each other's heads on random objects punching each other um this had just like something that they were moving to every single time and it was incredibly creative the Matt hardy stuff was incredibly wacky but i thought it fit perfectly in something like this it was very entertaining it was an entertaining show i thought that this was um I think this will come down to what your attitude is towards them doing uh, these shows, but I think I think enough people now are into the mindset that these matches are happening. And I would say for this show, I, I thought this was like for AEW. I would I would say th- this was a pretty pretty strong episode um, that they had, and I think it was you know a, a lot of factors, but it, they went off certainly on a high note with the, uh, the that final match. It was the closest show we've had to like a normal edition of Dynamite. Or even like Raw, SmackDown, whatever. Like since this whole thing began, um, and you know my my concerns in particular are going to still be there during this transition period. But I thought this was an incredibly entertaining two hours. Great matches, best atmosphere we've had in months. Excellent promos, I thought throughout the entire show, and like good build for Double or Nothing. Hey, All right. That- be- before we go on, um, I actually sent a message to Alex. Dr. Alex Patel, uh, 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 right before the show, asking him about his thoughts on some of the oh, announcements today. So he just responded back to me. He says, uh, I did see the testing announcements. It's certainly much better than not doing it. An article published today summarizes what we know, know best, and he uh, sent a link out here. Uh, he basically says, basically, as you can see from the graph, they are likely using the nasal PCR. It can miss cases early on, especially if asymptomatic, since I assume they exclude athletes who have symptoms, but those don't often occur until day five, and those later in the disease. For the ones more in the middle, there is a false negative rate to worry about as well, although it's more accurate than someone in their first week of illness. Depending on the assay, A-S-S-A-Y, which genes they check, this 
can vary from anywhere around 20 to 30 percent. So while it's certainly much better than checking for a fever, it can miss cases very early and also have some false negatives for others. That being said, it's going to drop the risk considerably. All right, that, that's really valuable information to mm. be aware of. And, you know, I, I say all of this, and and I don't know if it's just that people are, are hoping for the best here, but, man, don't get me wrong. Like, if there is a, a positive case that comes out of this or any kind of a spread, like, it just, everything is back to square one. And I think that this, like, if we're looking at a month from now and things are, there's no issues and it expedites that all these places are, are starting to get back. I think not so much AEW, but I think UFC will get some uh, positive attention for kind of opening up the, the floodgates and getting things back. But on the other side of things, if there is um, the opposite occurs, I think there will be great, great criticism. And I really had thought like Dana White was going to like tone down things like that he was doing last month, but then you know, today he's back to his like his craziness about all the wimps in the media and just the, these wimps are not the ones that should be leading this country like this. <laughs> I, I just think like he really just cannot. He just cannot put himself uh, aside from this and just going back to, to this this bullshit about the the wimps of this country and the wimps in the media and that it's like the, the media are like this group that is just so fixated on shutting this company down and it's like i did, i just don't know how you're so divorced from the reality that surrounds you the wimps of this country and the wimps of this world are the reason why you can even consider putting on a show this weekend like if we yeah. didn't do take the action that we did up until this point none of this would be possible uh, yeah i mean it's just you know Throw away like your disdain of the media and and tell me about uh like all the wimps that are medical professionals the the ones that are are seriously the the strongest and like most admirable people in this whole the wimps pandemic. that are risking their lives and in many cases dying as a result of uh, what's going on right now trying to fix this problem. Anyway, th- thank you so much, Doctor Alex Patel, for uh for for the insight, and uh, we'd love to talk to you soon. All right, let's go and uh, take some feedback here. Um, the show tonight got an 8.78 on the forum, so very high marks. Andrew from Cape Breton kicks things off. That main event was absurd, but I really enjoyed it. As much as these shows are much better than anything WWE puts out, the social distancing stuff is obviously not observed uh, and is a bit of an issue. It does seem things are going back to normalcy. I know in my area, there haven't been any new cases for about a week, and work is starting back up in Alberta, but it's not for another few weeks. The show was 7 out of 10 for me, as I was noticing a lot of the issues you guys have pointed out in recent weeks. But a scenario for you guys, likely or unlikely, double or nothing has a crowd of people they will be letting in. I, it's a completely unlikely. I, I think you're going to see a scenario like tonight, where there are people, but not opening it up to uh, fans. No way. I think it'll be exactly like tonight. I mean, yep. wouldn't won't he, wouldn't it even be at Daly's place? Yeah, that's it's going to be this exact scenario tonight in the, the same location. Mm-hmm. We got a Noah from Vaughn who says, "I absolutely love this show, and especially that main event. I couldn't take my eyes away from it, and it was constantly entertaining. I thought the Brandy promo and subsequent angle with Jake was perfect. As you just know, we are in for a hell of a Cody promo in response." Really looking forward to Brody versus Mox as they have had great matches in the past, and this should be no different. Didn't really have any issues with this show, so a 9 out of 10. I'm really excited for the ladder match at Double or Nothing. If it were up to me, I would have the following wrestlers in it. 
Darby, Sammy, Scorpio, Luchasaurus, Kip Sabian, and Trent. These six guys don't really have any programs going into the pay-per-view. And I think would work well together in this type of match. Um, I, I definitely like the idea of Darby and Guevara for sure in there. Scorpio Sky, that would make sense given the you know the the buildup that they're giving him. So yeah, those are all um, some options. And you know, given who you would have in this, um, you know, w- one thing we didn't mention at the end of the the show, um, what did you get the sense for for the inner circle? Because I I got the feeling that. It's here they had the numbers advantage, and Omega and Matt Hardy are outnumbered, and it would make sense that the Bucks and Hangman Page are showing up, and we're getting some kind of 10-man tag potentially at the pay-per-view. That's that's what it felt like to me. Well, would that 10-man tag take place in a blood and guts cage? Um, I don't think so. I think you wait for, for TV. Like, that to me is like... A, you know, dangling carrot that I think you should save for like your big celebration when you actually maybe even do it back in New Jersey since you've like promised that that crowd, right? Uh, unless you feel this show needs that that big hook, like on on paper, Moxley versus Brody Lee and Cody Lance Archer. Um, you know, it's not it's not the strongest, um, and maybe they feel they need they need to do something spectacular for this pay-per-view of all pay-per-views to get people to to spend money. I I don't know what the thinking is, but that that was kind of how I felt I felt at the end of this show that they're building towards. 10-man tag, yeah. Yeah. If it was just a 10-man tag, I don't know if that's good enough for a main event. Like I I would put the Cody Lance Archer title match above that. Um but otherwise, is it a good enough card if that was the case? Yeah, this one is going to really lie in the uh, how effective these next two shows are. I would say, you know, I I think that there's, you know, this is one where if you have not been, if you're indifferent to these empty arena shows, I mean, it's 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 one thing to watch it; it's another to spend money on it. So that's, you know, I think people are going to be more more uh, careful with with their their money spending right now and or unless they, you have or are they so starved and and the, they've been saving their money by not going out more often that they are willing to spend that amount on this well i guess you know are more people watching dynamite right now that they're that are so starved it's like less people are watching this and why why are people watching it less but the um, hardcores are still watching and those hardcores would have probably bought the show anyway well i i would say today I think this would easily like just after today, and it's not really fair because we have two more episodes to go. Um, I don't think this show would be bought in, um, you know, usual numbers for an AEW show. Do you? Do, how much effect do you think the like? How much would you be able to gather from the UFC number um, for something like like a double or nothing? I would say if, if the UFC does a really good number uh, on pay per view this Saturday, I think it would. I think it would indicate that if you have a loaded show. The the state of the economy and such is not going to prohibit people from spending money, but I don't think they're going to spend money just because it's a pay per view, just because it exists. Um, right. You have to have something that uh, is worthy of of your time and your money. It's and I feel like this UFC card is feels big for 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 Saturday. Um, but but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Are you going to watch that show on Saturday? No, no. I'll listen to you guys talk about it. Um... I I mean I'm pretty disconnected honestly with MMA anyway and and this whole thing like and Dana's crazy rampages have just Wait, are, 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 didn't you just do an MMA interview today? 
I did an interview with my friends on the MMA Complex, which you can listen to uh, on their YouTube channel or download uh, via the MMA Complex. So shout out to James and Josh. But I didn't talk a, a lick about MMA on it. It was more so just about everything going on with me and uh, a bit of professional wrestling. So listen to Way's uh, complex relationship with MMA on the MMA Complex. That's right. Okay, uh, Europe. Oh, I'm okay. Raymond from Sacramento, California, who says a few weeks ago when Kenny and Nakazawa were wrestling on Dynamite from QT's gym, I thought it w- I thought it was an impromptu DDT AEW crossover. I was wrong. The street fight though at through the street fight through Daly's place, the building that Tony Khan designed himself, was the real deal. DDT AEW crossover. So creative from the Matt Hardy pop singer costume changes, the golf cart running down Sammy, the scissor lift spot, and the carefree deconstruction of different parts of the building. AEW continues to provide quality entertainment in these unfortunate circumstances. And he has unfortunate circumstances in italics. Oh. Paul from the UK, I have to say this was a damn fine show. Once again, the small amount of energy from the performers around the around the ring helped a great deal, and each of the matches felt important in their own way. Even the Nyla Rose squash let her show the dominance a champion should have. Have to say, I still don't get the Janela love, but a decent performance from Cody. The Moxley match was great because it had a little of what I feel wrestling often lacks these days, actual mat wrestling, and the post-match beatdown worked well. However, it's that final contest that's going to get... Tongues wagging, complete craziness, and some incredible spots meant that a match I was sure was going to be a chore went by in a flash. Nine out of ten for me, and I didn't even mention MJF or the Murder Hawk. Looking forward to next week. Paul from New Jersey says, I really enjoyed the women's package. I feel like we don't know enough about this division, and stuff like this is a step in the right direction. Question, is there any better promo in the business right now than an MJF promo? I can't think of one. Good show. Well, when you talk about promo, like, are we talking about just like uh, bare talent and bare ability, or are we talking about content as well? Because I feel like MJF is amazing with his ability, but I I don't know how often he's been tested to cut that serious, you know, money promo. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a bit of it in the Cody feud, but like, I I still feel like you know for him, like the ultimate tests are are, are to come, and I'm sure he'll do fantastic, but. I don't think he's really been completely proven yet to me. Yeah, I will say I I think one of the, you know, with the NWA going dark during this whole period, I think like Nick Aldis and Marty Skrull, I think like their buildup, we just had seen that that sit-down segment with those two. It was like, man, they're going to have a f- fantastic buildup for that Crockett Cup show, but they're kind of out of sight, out of mind right now. But, um, you know, there, there there's like um quite a pool of... of Solid promos, uh, but MJF is certainly one of them. With so many, like, you know, uh, promotions considering starting back up right now, um, like, what do you see for, for something like NWA? Are they at the very bottom of the list? Like, you know, because we know that they're not making money off of these YouTube shows. Is it? Is well, it well that's it. It's, it's, I think it it's dictated by what is the revenue that you're, you're losing at the moment by not running. If you're a show and, you know, if you have a television contract, I put you right at the top of the list that you're either running or you want to be running immediately. For the NWA, I mean, they're not being, you know, pay, what they're making is is minimal in comparison to if they had had a paying TV deal. Like you're talking about, you know, so, some some ads and such on YouTube. These are money-losing shows. Right. Like they're, they're losing money. So by not running, they're, they're not – 
throwing out these expenses every six weeks to do tapings. So I would not be rushing to return if I'm just losing money right now and cannot do these shows with an audience. So I I would see NWA as, as really low down down the list when it comes to running uh, their traditional tapings. I guess is there a cutoff point though where like you sit out for like too long and you risk people co- completely dropping you and forgetting about you? Um, there's there's that risk, but again, I, I would say the the larger risk is like just running and, and you're losing money. And what good does that do your promotion? Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's what New Japan is sort of uh, considering right now. Yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, that's that's a live event based business that's certainly being you know handicapped significantly now. And if if they're opening the door now, pardon the pun, to empty arena shows, um, that tells you kind of where where their headspace is at. That how long is this going to go? If we're if we're suddenly realizing that fans are not going to be able to come for another six months. Are we really going to take this stance and sit out for six months, or do we do something? Um, Where was the pun? In open I, uh, it wasn't really a door, but I, or, or a pun. I was saying, like, I'm talking about empty arena shows, and this opens the door for them. It's oh, really okay. the opposite because they're closing the door for people. <laughs> More just like a bad line. Okay. Um, Doug. I shall try to erase the unfortunate image of Jake Roberts lowering himself onto Brandy from my mind. Other than that, this was an excellent show. I'm very glad that JR mentioned early on that everyone present was tested and cleared. And as you guys have no doubt already mentioned, that he broke kayfabe on these extraordinary circumstances by actually naming their cause on TV at long last. Later on, seeing the Corona beer advertising in the outer stadium during the main event was extremely surreal. I I feel like the Corona beer, it's like, okay. We have a beer that has a similar name. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's hard uh, to avoid. Yeah. Um, even without a paying crowd, having a live arena show, which felt authentic, was something I hadn't realized quite how much I'd missed until tonight. And I felt the spaced out clusters of audience members did a great job at creating a tangible atmosphere. They told fresh stories with new angles, AEW's usual great video packages, and most importantly, some very enjoyable matches culminating with a frankly bonkers main event. And it's the most fun I've had watching wrestling in months. Nine out of 10. We've got an Irish Dave who says, great to have a live feel back to the show while being back at Daly's place. The the commentary team back and the wrestlers in the crowd, it really helped. I'm sorry, I'm the, so I just like I think about myself reading some of these sentences sometimes, and I'm sure it just um anyway it's it's a, never mind. Really surprised with Brandy's promo, how good it was. Really interested to see where this goes. The snake wrapped around her was a good little touch to up the feud. Main event was tremendous. Everyone was great. So much fun. I laughed so hard, and the ice at the ice bag KO. And Hardy getting locked in the freezer. What do you think of the comparison of Jericho here and Hogan with the NWO? Both created a very entertaining character while leading a heel group when it was thought their respective careers were done. Jericho is the number one all-around most entertaining guy in wrestling today for me. Uh, Okay, the comparison between Jericho during this portion of his career and Hogan with the NWO. I I don't think people were necessarily saying... Like, to me, Jericho has been so... um... I mean, he had a really great run in WWE up until he he left 
uh, after the Owen stuff and then went to New Japan. I, I don't think Jericho is in a uh, – like there, there's a lot of parallels between uh, Hogan and Jericho of where they went and positions that they found themselves in. But I I don't think people were looking at Jericho as uh, at the, the end of his road. Um, I, th- I think he, he left WWE on a pretty – pretty good note overall um yeah, he certainly once, once he was done being a regular performer he certainly wasn't stale like he was just coming off the owens program which was like the hottest thing at that wrestlemania and like coming off the of new japan which like was even hotter than that. oh oh yeah absolutely like by the new japan's i'm just saying even before new japan i, I think he was certainly uh coming off a really hot run in wwe and the new japan stuff i mean he became he has I think he realized his, his value at that point because in WWE you can you can be a top guy there you can be someone that is dependent upon but there's always going to be that you know how much the brand draws versus how much an individual draws and in this era of network subscribers and guaranteed revenue it it's hard to really establish yourself as like a difference maker he went to New Japan and he got the the facts like the the actual numbers of what he meant being added to that show and i think that that gave him uh an enormous sense uh, of confidence and what his worth and value is to a company that has been reflected in his performance knowing he can be that guy and is being that guy in in AEW where like look what he's come in and done like this has been a really unselfish guy that i, I i've said this many times i do believe that when the book is written on Chris Jericho. It's going to be the last few years of his career that I think are going to be the ultimate legacy years for Chris Jericho of how people will look at his contributions. I'm sure he's already writing, starting to write that book. Well, it wouldn't be – well, by him, I mean we'd be on like autobiography, I think, number five by this point. But yeah. I guess you know it, it is something when you talk about a guy who's been doing this 30 years and it's the last two that you could argue – have been the most valuable. And this has been, it, it really is a, a, a huge, what if had Jericho not gone to AEW and what this company would look like? I think it's totally different. Absolutely. You know, but, but what you mentioned there, like at the end about like him being so giving to me is like one of the biggest differences between like a Jericho and a Hulk Hogan here with the NWO, where I felt like the uh, Hogan and the NWO, any time they might've added members, I kind of feel like it was just adding to the background of Hulk Hogan adding to like the the I don't know um the backdrop the uh, of like proteges to make Hulk Hogan look better where I feel like we're going to do a flim flam come on Vincent where I feel like everything that like Jericho has done with the inner circle has been to promote either AEW as a whole or specifically the four other people that are in that group with him look at how much be- benefit like those four guys have had because really? he was there. He 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 lived all of that as mm-hmm. the guy that was, you know, just told, like, you're not going to get to a certain level here. Um, that was, um, you know, something he experienced firsthand. And I think that that, that resonated with those guys. That resonated with, with, like, the Eddies and the Benoits and the Malenkos and Jericho. And I think that they, they took that with them as, you know, a chip on your shoulder that can be very motivating, but also something you, you don't forget either. And... It's easier said than done to say you learn from those experiences when suddenly you are that guy, and it can be very easy to be selfish and think about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, last one here. Oh, it's me. Is it you or me? I think it's you. Oh, it's me. Matthew from Vancouver. 
That main event was all kinds of ridiculous. My wife, who is not an avid wrestling fan, was in hysterics when Matt was driving the golf cart. Besides the main event, lots of storyline advancement on the show. We enjoyed it. The positives for me were MJF, Britt Baker, and Brandy, Archer, Jake, and Cody. The negative being Moxley versus Brody Lee at double or nothing. Brody Lee feels like a lukewarm challenger. That being said, I expect their match to be decent based on their previous encounters. Eight out of ten. Do you expect Hangman and the Bucks to be back soon? I would think so. I, I feel that they'll be back on the pay-per-view, if not uh, Dynamite prior. I expect it as well. Yeah, I mean, um, they were certainly notable in their absence, but it, it leads me to think that they're saving it for something. Um, do you expect, a, I mean, a big return? Like, do you expect some sort of big debut at Double or Nothing? And if you didn't get it, would you be disappointed? Like, what I mean is, if the Revival don't show up at Double or Nothing, would that be a disappointment? No, um... I think that'd be a good time to do it, and I'd kind of tease it. I think you could even like tease it on being the elite and keep it out of Dynamite itself, where it's not promoted, but it's very much hinted at that, you know, I'm buying this pay-per-view, I'll probably get this. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the returns, though, I think there's a ready-made angle that you could have the Bucks come back, and it's a case where they're they're getting they're still outnumbered, they're getting beaten down, and there's Hangman to save the day for his friends. And it's the five of them together on that go home show, uh, staring down the inner circle, and they're all aligned and they're on the same page. Ooh, not DDP. No, no. All right, that's all the feedback, dude. How this show feels like it's been forty five minutes for me. Oh, there's been a lot to talk about, and it's, like, all really interesting stuff. These shows have, uh, I'm always shocked when I look at how long we've been talking. So I'm not really looking at the time until the end. You know, I know we uh, we had discussed uh, talking about that Untold with uh, Cactus and and, um, Triple H. Our our review is going to remain Untold. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We're going to save that for uh, the Hangout tomorrow, uh, along with uh, our thoughts on NXT. Yeah, so we'll we'll dive into that because uh, there's a lot to discuss from that from that. So Waze had a chance to see it. I've watched it as well. Uh, we'll kick off the hangout talking about that and NXT as well. So if you are a member of the cafe, we'll be chatting with you Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern time, taking phone calls as well. Um, what's what's your prediction, Mister uh, Nostradamus, when it comes to the ratings? Uh, we had you know both shows were heavily promoted this week. Um, do you have a sense of which side is going to have more viewers when we see the numbers at 4.15? Can you remind me last week of what, what, what we saw? Not, uh, that I even ha- not, even, not that it even has like that big of an impact anymore, but I mean, I I saw a good deal of like um, talk for NXT on my timeline today, but then I'm looking at my feedback threads and we're certainly seeing a bit more Dynamite feedback than usual. Or, or more more than NXT, so um, I'm going to say NXT this week, but so, no, I'm going to say AEW. I changed my mind. Final answer is AEW? AEW, yeah. Okay. Last week, AEW did 693, NXT did 637. I, I think AEW is going to have more. I think that the show built really well um, on top of it, and I think people at times... Um, when Jericho's wrestling on TV, I, I defer that that I think that's a big difference maker when it comes to um, importance that people place on, on the shows. And I think even next next week will be an interesting test of Jericho with Pineapple Pete. But Jericho has um, like Jericho has been has always meant viewers when he wrestles on television. His his segments do extremely well. So I, I feel that 
AEW will have. I, I do think, though, both shows will be up from last week. That will be my prediction. All right. So. We shall see. Do you want to put some money on it? Nope, not after this week. I'm uh, you're <laughs> you're you're the ratings prognosticator. I I react, you predict. That's that's our dynamic. Okay. All right, thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'll speak with you Thursday on the Hangout.